My name is uh, Wilson. If I haven't met you yet, I'm the curate here at Incarnation, which basically means I'm a pastoral resident, sort of like a resident in a hospital without the like 48-hour straight shifts or any of that, any of that kind of stuff. Um, I want to look at our psalm today. So if you brought your Bible with you, and I hope you did, we're going to look at Psalm 80. It's right in the middle of, of your Bible. And I want to talk about waiting today. Waiting. What is there to say about waiting? Um, depending on the type of waiting you're talking about, waiting can be boring. Uh, waiting can be painful. It can be long, confusing, distressing. Um, there's a time in my adult life where the word waiting probably characterized my season of life as well as any other word would. Uh, like this psalm says over and over again, I was waiting on God to restore me individually. I was waiting on God to lift me out of a downward spiral of isolation and fatigue and melancholy. I felt like I was adrift at sea, and it, it seemed like God wasn't doing anything in my life. There's this great verse in Philippians that says, he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion. Um, but it seemed like God had started a good work and wasn't in any hurry to finish up the old project. Sometimes God is silent and impenetrable, and it feels like he's inactive. And we're left there in this vast, foggy terrain called waiting. That's what it feels like. And everybody knows what waiting feels like, because waiting may be the characteristic posture of our time. Every single person on the planet is waiting. It's a, it's a very odd thing. Everyone is waiting for this pandemic to just end. We're all waiting on a vaccine. We're looking at the news every day, seeing if there's going to be any word about it. When's it coming? We're waiting for the time when we can be close to each other again and not think twice about it. Some are waiting for crushing financial burdens or job insecurity because of all this to just end. But it's not just an individual situation. It's not just the coronavirus. Like, this waiting is so broad. What about the waiting that always accompanies suffering? The waiting that someone somewhere is always experiencing, that this community has had its fill of, the waiting that comes with suffering. Like when someone in your family dies, now what? Like what happens after that? When the diagnosis was not good, now what? In all of this, where is God? What is He doing? Does he see this? Does he hear our cries? All the things that we know and believe about him, that he is good, that he cares for us, that he's merciful, that he's powerful to do something. All of a sudden, all those things we know and believe, we start to wonder if, if those things really have any bearing on our lives. Do they really touch us in a real practical sort of way? And ultimately this, King Jesus came and started a revolution on earth. And he sits at the right hand of the Father, so what are we waiting around for now? Well, the, uh, the long Christian tradition has a season in its church calendar that is all about waiting. And it's called Advent. And today happens to be the very first day of that season of Advent. Um, it's the first season in the Christian year. So today is like the New Year's Day. It's the first day. Uh, Christians are so weird. We get to the first day of the year and we say, all right, we're finally here. Let's wait. 
we start the year by waiting. We're waiting for Christmas, four weeks from now, yes. But also, we take this season to soak in the reality that the Christian people are a people in waiting. Jesus has come. He started the great work that he came to do. There's no putting that Pandora back in the box. It started. But he hasn't finished it yet. He hasn't brought it to completion, and so we wait. We as the human race are in a pandemic. We as this community are in this long season of suffering, and we're all waiting. And in the middle of this, strangely enough, we've stumbled upon this season of Advent that comes every year, sort of whether we like it or not. And in a lot of ways, we've been in Advent for like a really long time now. This may be the one year that Advent does not take us by surprise. Like, it's catching up with us, finally. It's here, and we can really make the most of it this year. We, it, this may have a deeper impact than any other year that we've experienced. This psalm that we read earlier, Psalm 80, and really all the readings that we have today show us that waiting upon God is not a hiccup in our spiritual lives. It's no, it's no accident. It's not when the community of God forgets about him for a while. It's not a time when we like pull out our proverbial phones and hope that they give us kind of a, the experience of standing on one of those sidewalk escalators that are in the airport so we can just let this waiting thing pass us by and get to the other side. Waiting actually is not a passive act. The act of waiting is vital. It fans the flame of hope, and it sustains spiritual health. The act of waiting upon God is vital. So what I want us to ask today is, what does it look like to wait upon God well? And let's go to this awesome psalm that we read. When we pray this psalm, it teaches us a holy longing, a good, active waiting, which probably has endless characteristics to it, but I'm going to give you five today. What does it look like to wait upon God well? First, first to wait upon God well, we've got to speak up. We've got to speak up, and we've got to be bold about it. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. It's the opening line. And this psalm is full of imperatives like that. Some of those imperatives directly address the feeling that God is overlooking us or he's forgotten about us. Give ear. Listen, God. Look down from heaven and see what's happening. Verse 14, have regard for us. Care for us. Other of those imperative words directly ask God to act, to end the silence, to end the waiting. Shine forth, verse 1. Stir up your might. Come to save us, verse 2. These are all asking God to work in his power. Or the refrain of this psalm that's repeated three times. Restore us. Let your face shine. Those are familiar words because we use them in our, our blessing a lot. May his face shine upon you. Um, that means the warm glow of his care. This psalm asks three times for us to be restored, for the warm glow of God's care to be experienced and felt again. Have any of you ever been there? Do you want to experience that, the warmness of God's care for you again? When God is silent, when we enter into that vast, foggy land of waiting, it is painfully tempting to feel like we have been forgotten by God and then in turn to forget about God. And sometimes our silence 
is just that. It's a forgetting about God. It isn't naked vulnerability or trust in his presence, but it's the silence of indifference or the silence of just painful resignation. That kind of silence is the breeding ground for resentment toward God. And so the Psalms have us time and time again to get out with it. Be honest about it. Uh, Derek Kidner says this, super helpful. It says, God, it seems, prefers an excess of boldness to an excess of caution. And he's right. He's exactly right. So the first thing is to speak up. Take off your Sunday best before God and come to him with what you've got. Speak up. Speak to him honestly. And that leads to a second thing, too. What does it look like to wait upon God well? Well, we have to remember. We have to remember to God. And this is so important. When we feel the silence of God, when we enter the vulnerable land of waiting, one of the first things to go is our memory. Suddenly, all that God has done, all that he has promised he will do, everything about his character that is good and true and beautiful goes into the fog for us and feels very distant. And suddenly, God's very character is obscured. Um, William Cooper is a great hymn writer, struggled awfully with depression and mental illness kind of his whole life, Um, talks in one of his hymns of God hiding behind a frowning providence. So what are we going to do about that? We must actively remember to God. And that's remember to God, that's sort of an awkward phrase, and I, I say it that way intentionally, because this is not just cognitively reminding ourselves. It is so important that this happens in prayer. Um, this is something that I'm learning a lot. It's hard to feel the truths of the gospel and like get those things deeply into us by rehearsing them in your own head. Because that, what that's trying to do is trying to get the truth to sink down into a deep place on your own effort, just by yourself. And it's also assuming that that action happens mainly up here. I'm starting to realize that prayer is the missing link to this. It's not just remembering propositions. It's not just remembering truth. It is remembering to God. When we pray this psalm, we enter God's presence and we rehearse who he is. He's powerful and wise. He's the gentle shepherd He's the one whose shining face, the warm glow of his care is the difference between life and death. This psalm enters God's presence and it rehearses also what he's done. In the middle of this psalm, a big chunk is talking about how he brought Israel out of Egypt and he cleared out the ground for it and he planted this fruitful vine. And man, when we pray this psalm, how well can we update that story? Jesus came and launched the very kingdom of heaven on earth. This psalm talks about the vine and the son of man. These are, these are images, these are titles that Jesus took up for himself and filled out to beyond what this psalmist could have dreamed in his wildest imaginations. In Jesus, we have seen the face of God. And so we remember to God all of this. Um, here's the rest of that William Cooper verse that I, that I referenced for just a second. It says this, "'Judge not the Lord by feeble sense.'" But trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Remember to God who he is and what he's done so that in our waiting we don't become embittered and start to build out this false picture of God. Okay, but if God really is like that, if he really is good, if he really does care for us, 
if he really does fulfill every promise that he has made to us, then why are things the way they are? And so this brings us to a third. What does it look like to wait upon God? It looks like lamenting sin and suffering. This psalm has some great lament words. This psalm has some great Advent words. That's why it's a, that's why it's a typical psalm to read during the season of Advent. This psalm asks why and how long. And here's a really interesting feature of this psalm that I, that I kind of um, realized when I was meditating on it and, and really looking at it this week, is that we lament not just for ourselves, either for ourselves as individuals or even for just our own community. So um, the context of the psalm really brings us out. This psalm was written by Asaph, it'll, it'll say in your Bible. And Asaph most likely uh, was singing this from Jerusalem after the nation of Israel had been split into the northern and southern kingdoms. And so Asaph is singing this song from Jerusalem, which is in the southern kingdom, and he is singing it about his brothers and sisters that are in the northern kingdom. And that's remarkable for two reasons. One, the southern kingdom and northern kingdom were not very often friends. They were often at odds with each other. And the second reason that's remarkable is because the northern kingdom had gotten themselves into the mess they were in from their own sin and idolatry, stubborn generation after generation. But Asaph doesn't say, those idiots brought it upon themselves, amen. But he says, come and save us. That's incredible. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. If they are suffering, then we are suffering. One really clear application of this psalm, I think, I think that our brothers and sisters in the global south could pray this psalm for us really well. So they're setting the bar for an orthodox faith that is bleeding out into the social concerns of their communities and are meeting the real felt needs that are in their communities. They're setting the bar for what it looks like to bear up under trial and suffering with perseverance. I really think they could look north to us like Asaph looking north from Jerusalem to the northern kingdom. They could see the, the Western church dying out, the next generation being lost, and they could lament. It calls for lament. This psalm uh, is called a community lament. It's a community coming together and asking why and asking how long. A community that brings the lament for sin and for suffering that's in the world to God's feet. And yet the tone of this psalm is so bold, so direct, it, this has been a really helpful corrective to me because it's so different from how I pray. It says, you have fed them with the bread of tears. You make us an object of contention. Why have you broken down our walls? Man, it's bold. Cry out in anger over suffering and the shame of sin. Because if you don't, those feelings still exist, but they'll fester. Prayer is, is such a good gift. Bring those things to the feet of God. He, it's amazing. He actually invites those. Fourth, what we're talking about is what it looks like to wait upon God well. And once we've entered that foggy land of waiting, we discover how much virtue is required of us. Waiting well requires an incredible amount of virtue. But here's the good news. The same virtue that is needed in order to wait well is cultivated by God himself in the waiting. 
Let me say that again. The same virtues that, that we will need in order to be able to wait and not be crushed are cultivated by God himself in the waiting. So waiting upon God is just so painful, but it's so formative. And we can't get to that point, that formative point, without going through the other things first, speaking up to God, remembering to him, lamenting sin and suffering to him. This all brings us into the land of waiting. And now that we're here, we see just how much patience is required of us to make it. So great thing about the Advent season, it's a tough season, but it has an end date. December 25th, Advent is over. Merry Christmas. But much of our waiting does not have an end point. That's why it's so painful. It doesn't have an an end date that we can for sure be looking forward to. And really, Advent itself does not have an end date. The whole Christian life is in some ways Advent. It's waiting on Jesus to come back and restore everything. So we need patience, and we need faith. We need faith. God is still good. He does care. He does forgive sin still. He isn't finished with us. Our master isn't delayed in coming. Like, where on earth are we going to get all of this patience and all of this faith to make it? Like, where are we going to get the hope? Where are we going to get enough empathy that we can truly lament for other people? Where are we going to get enough courage to look darkness in the face and live through Advent instead of simply pretending that we're having a wonderful Christmas time? And the answer is, of course, God has to give it. And he gives it in the waiting. Very often, God gives these virtues in spades and stretches us and grows us in the waiting, in the time of suffering. Waiting cultivates the same virtues that it requires. So, I would just say, don't waste this season, whether it's the four weeks of Advent, whether it's this longer, vast territory of waiting. Don't waste it. Leap on the opportunity for God to work in the waiting. He will stretch and grow us, but don't run to and fro looking for an escape in anything and everything to try and short-circuit it. Or don't numb yourself with all the offerings that our consumer culture gives us to just kind of speed through and watch your life pass by. Because God is at work in the waiting. And that, that lands us at our last point. What does it take? What does it look like to wait upon God well? At the end of the day, it's not really about us. It requires ultimately that we look to God to act. God has to act. We began by speaking up, give ear, O shepherd of Israel. But we end in silence. This psalm doesn't resolve It ends with the refrain that's repeated for the third time, O Lord, God of hosts, restore us. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And then it's quiet. And what is there left but to wait? At the end of it all, there we are, waiting upon God in silence, but it's the silence of a poured out heart. It's the silence of a vulnerable nakedness in God's presence upon whom our very life depends. It's not a silent resignation, It's not a silence of having forgotten God. And it is in this silence, waiting in this darkness, that God is on the move. Many centuries ago, the nation of Israel was waiting. It sat in silence and was waiting on a mighty act of God. All the prophets had foretold it and said it was coming. 
But ever since the exile, ever since they had returned from the exile, their former glory had never really been restored, and they were just a shadow of, once they, of what they once were. And so they sat, and so they waited for God to do something. Until one night, a baby was born in obscurity. And in the quiet and in the dark, unknown to the powers that be, the mighty act of God began. And what no one in Israel could have predicted was that the mighty act of God would be finally accomplished on a cross when the Savior of the entire world would cry out against the silent wall of God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he would wait and there would be no answer. And in that silence and in that darkness, sin and evil were crushed. It is terrible. It is the grace of God. And the whole creation waited that Saturday with bated breath and then woke up on Sunday morning to a world that was changed forever. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Hear now the word of the Lord from the book of Exodus. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we wait for you. We look to your hand. We need your help, O oh God. Help us in this season that's carved out specifically to slow down and to come face to face with the fact that we are a people in waiting. Come, Lord Jesus, and restore all things. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.